0: Book of 2nd Timothy, the second chapter. 2nd Timothy, the second chapter, I was speaking two weeks ago on the subject of usable vessels. Usable vessels. Beginning in the 19th verse, Paul concludes his presentation in the second chapter by saying, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I declared to you two weeks ago that God has a message for the world, and he has determined that it would be presented through the foolishness of preaching. Angels could have declared the message, God could have supernaturally revealed himself to mankind, but he has determined to do it through the hands of those that are redeemed by his blood, wielded and committed to him. Once they become convinced that they do have power over all the powers of darkness, and that they do have a message to proclaim, are convinced of it, and become organized and do that which is necessary, we will see the purpose of God accomplished, not until the church takes that responsibility and be, begins to do it. So God is seeking out willing, usable vessels to bear his message. I said that the usable vessels are not necessarily those that who are financially and academically the strongest. It's those who are spiritually ready to receive and be received from God that which he has for them and to use that which God provides to them. Usable vessels. And we said the first sign of a usable vessel is that he is expendable. Expendable. When God sent his son into the world, he sent him realizing that his son was expendable. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it was through his death that many have come into life. Had Jesus Christ not died on the cross, you and I today would not have been able to receive divine life from God. Through his death that we received life. Now, that was given to us as a type so that we could understand that if we are going to bring forth spiritual life, we must die. die die to our old old nature and become alive unto God. Death, dead to the old man, alive to the new man in Christ Jesus. The word of God talks about it as crucifying yourself. John, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 24. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus said there's only one way for you and me to produce life, and that is to die. Every grain, uh, seed, grain seed has in it the potential of abundant life. They have even found grain that has been in the old Tombs over in Egypt, maybe one or two thousand years old, and they bring that grain out, and when they plant it, it springs forth to life. But when it's planted, first of all, the hard case in the outside has to break, and it has to die, and in its death, new life comes forth, and the whole head of grain comes forth from it. You plant that grain, and each one of those grains comes forth with a whole head of grain. And Jesus said, if you and I are going to reproduce for the kingdom of God, we have to die to ourselves, be buried with Christ, and rise in newness of life in Christ Jesus. In Mark the 8th chapter, verses 34 through 38, And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Wherefore, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angel. Jesus was saying here again, the only time you and I can receive life is when we're willing to die out to our own desires. And that's what we talked about a lot two weeks ago. Now, what he's actually saying is, I will use anyone who will become available to me unreservedly and obedient to me at any time and at any cost. I never forgot what a man said one time. He said, what God is looking for is anyone who will say, Father, and mean it. Father, I'm willing to go anywhere or nowhere, to be anything or nothing. If you'll only direct me by your word and by your spirit, I'll do whatever you show me to do if you'll let me know what you want me to do. Now, let me tell you something. That is a rare, rare case today. Now, I'm not saying that to criticize people. I'm saying it because it's a matter of fact. I have lived in this world long enough to find there are many, many people who are willing to go so far and do so much for the kingdom of God, do so much for the church. But when God's spirit begins to center down on those little areas or those large areas of self-desire, self-ambition, self-set goals. Then suddenly we pull back and say, God, I don't need any help here. You go ahead and take care of these other areas for me. I'll handle this. Now, when this happens, you simply grieve the Holy Spirit where until you are sealed into the day of redemption. You hinder the work of the Holy Spirit because, you see, God wants to use a completely filled vessel. And the more filled you are, the more power, the power of God can be manifest out through your life. And when God's life is in you and you speak out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh, then power and life comes forth in your words. When they're God's words being spoken through you through obedience on your part. Very seldom do you find people who are willing to say, Lord, I mean it with all my heart, anywhere, at any time, or nowhere, anything or nothing, but I've got to know the perfect will of God for my life, and I'm willing to seek it out earnestly. When I say this, I want you to understand that God doesn't just put up some ethereal goal up here and say, now go for it. He has placed within the word of God, example after example after example, of how this principle will work if you'll let it operate. You see, he says, if you hunger with all your heart, you shall be filled. If any man hunger with all of his heart, if you seek me with all your heart, you shall surely find me. Do you notice that God always says, I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not in, the, in the business of meeting half-hearted people. What's a half-hearted people? A double-minded person. What's a double-minded person? That's a person that's unstable in all their ways. Oh, they're very religious over here, but other times they're over here. And the Lord says, when you come to a place where you and I begin to seek him with all our hearts and we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, then we'll be filled. Then we'll be filled with his presence. Now, you see, this is nothing unusual because in Genesis, the 12th chapter, God called a man by the name of Abram. Now I want you to see how this functioned in the life of Abram because Abram was the father of our faith. If you and I have been have been redeemed by the blood of Christ having repented of our sins and made Jesus Lord of our life we have come into the household of faith the word of God calls it and our roots are centered in Abraham because he was the father of all faith and when the tree of Israel grew up and the time came when they rejected the Messiah. The word of God says in Romans eleven, twelve, and 13 that God lopped off the branches of Israel, the natural branches, and grafted in the Gentile nations into that tree. And so the life of, spiritual life of faith that we are experiencing today has come from its root in Abraham. Now, did Abraham have to experience any of these things that we're talking about today in a total commitment and a total walk of faith before the Lord? I want you to notice some things here. When God called Abram, the first Abram at that time, the first thing he had to do in order to follow the Lord was to die to his past. Abram had been living in the Ur of the Chaldees with his family and was fairly successful. He had a lot of contacts and a lot of associations there in the Ur of the Chaldees because he was a very influential person. Now, you know, I found out that sometimes if God wants to reach us, he has to break us off and loose us from all our former ties before he can get to us. I say that because I know in Minnesota, my wife and I were so busy in the ministry, God would have had to hit me in the back of the head with a pop bottle and knock me down to get my attention, I think. Well, I mean, we're just constantly having calls coming in for speaking engagements, evangelistic meetings, and we were constantly busy. Well, why did I need to change? Why did I have to seek out any other angel? I mean, I I could go out and preach evangelism forever. And so God said, I want to deal with you, Abram, so I'm not going to do it where you're acquainted with everybody. I want to get you all to myself. He said, I want you to come. Now, Now imagine something. By the way, his father had been an idol worshiper. Imagine the faith it took for this man, Abram, To suddenly hear this voice from God saying, if you will leave everything you've got behind you and follow after me, then I will begin to speak to you, and I will bless you, and I'll make you to be a blessing. Sure you will, uh-huh. Who are you? God wanted Abram to know who he was, and so in order to do so, he had to die to his past. He could have easily said, look, I know the field's here. I've already owned property here. I... I'm acquainted, I have all my business contacts here, God, what can't you deal with me that's it? I say this because many, many times we say, certainly, God, you talk to me, but do it on my, my own turf, where I want you to talk to me. And I want to tell you something, when God says I want to talk to you, you've got to be willing to say, God, I don't care where it is, you just appoint the time and I'll be there. But You just can't let go of everything. Who says you can't? If God wants to talk to you, and he says you move, you move wherever he tells you to move to. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be anywhere where God's talking to me than I would be in comfort and material things and not have God talking to me. And so he says, I want you to come over here in the land of the Canaanites. Now, let me tell you something. The land of the Canaanites was not a popular area to be in. They were a wicked people, a wild people. The wickedness of that nation had come up into the face of God, and He says, I'm going to judge that nation, but you go over there anyway. So, Abram left his comfortable surroundings and went over there and had to die out completely to his past. Now, the second thing was that when he got over there, there was a famine in the land. Oh, I must have missed God's best. I mean, He surely couldn't have called me into this kind of a mess. Oh, this is ridiculous. Boy, I must have misheard Him completely. I uh, misunderstood what he told me to do. I, you know, before he called me, everything was going right. Now here I'm in the midst of the famine. How many people have you known that were doing beautifully, and then when they began to obey God, it looked like somebody kicked a slats right out of the bottom of their crib, huh? <laughs> the whole bottom fell out. God, what's going on? I started obeying you. Look. Look what's happening. Uh-huh. Now, let just read Abram's story, and you find out that that's not unusual. Because the word says God is going to test and try to see if we're sincere, if we really mean business with him. In fact, he took the children of Israel and let them wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. He said, I did that to see if you'd be obedient to me. And even after 40 years, they still fouled up. But he had to die to his past and recognize when he came out of his past that in spite of the fact that conditions were even worse, he did not even dare think about going back to the past. Nowhere did I read that Abraham said, "Oh, I wish I could go back there to the Chaldees." Now, the children of Israel, when God brought them out of Egypt and brought them out in the wilderness, and things got a little tough, what was the first thing they said? Boy, could I stand some leeks and garlic back there in Egypt again? We thought we had it rough. This is really tough. If you'll study the saints of old, how God brought them through some of the same experiences that you and I walked through. Not only did Abram have to die to his past, but he had to be willing not to say, Oh, I wish I could be back there in the era of the Chaldees. But he knew that he was where God wanted him to be. He had to die to his past. And that's what we're talking about before he could be that usable vessel. The second thing about Abram is that he had to die to the present. The 13th chapter of Genesis tells us that Abram was very rich. He had servants and he had all kinds of animals. And he had a very good reputation as a man who was very, very well known and respected. But if you'll turn to Genesis, the 17th chapter, I want to read something to you. I won't read all of it to you. I'll just simply tell you that Abraham there in the 17th chapter, by the way, when Abraham was called out of the earth of the Chaldees, he was 75 years of age. Seventy-five years of age. You'd think, boy, his days were over already. I mean, God picked himself a, a flower with all the leaves and petals off of it already. Not really. Now, let me just state to you, too, that he was 75 then. Now, here in this chapter, he's 99. 24 years later, God called him out of the era of the Chaldees into the promised land, and he was there for 24 years before anything happened. I've had some people say, oh, pastor, well, this has been going on for five years. I'm not here to discourage you. I just want you to know that when God feels the time is right, that's when He'll start working with you and moving. I went through for 10 years, our family went through for 10 years saying, Dear Father, thank you for this experience. I'll be so glad when it's over. <laughs> Every year, the financial pressure is saying, Lord, you're our source, you're our source, we know you're our source. Lord, take care of this situation, you know, for 10 years. For 10 years, God proved himself faithful. And I want to tell you right now, no matter what, he's faithful. Well, if I'd had my druthers, the first year, it would have been taken care of. The second year, definitely. The third year, unquestionably. God said 10 years, and it's being taken care of. He said by prophecy, this year, it'll be totally settled. But we've still got some more miracles happening between now and the end of the year. It's coming, see? So it's going to be totally settled. But Abram went for 24 years. Now he was a wealthy man, a man of very good reputation. But God did some things here that uh, could really create some problems for Abraham. For Abraham. after twenty-four years, he was well known. And by the way, that must have been an embarrassing name for him because Abram meant the father of many. He had to die to his present. He was his name. Abram meant the father of many or multitude. And God says, Abram. I told you I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those that bless you, and curse those that curse you. So he said, I want you to go down to the office and get your name changed. Go down to the courthouse and legally get your name changed. Oh, thank God. He said, this has been embarrassing, Father. For 24 years, I've been going around, and everybody's been calling me Father of Multitudes." And here I don't even have any children. What do you want me to name? What do you want to name me? Isaac? That means laughter, that'd be a lot better. No, no, that's not for you. He said, I want you to go down and name, peasants. your name changed to Abraham, which means father of nations. Oh, Father, you've got to be kidding. Can you imagine what they're going to say to me? Here I am, 99 years of age, barren, no children whatsoever. It's not bad enough. Father of multitudes, now father of many nations. Just go do it. I say, by the way, Abraham, come here. See out here on this ground, how many grains of sand are there? Oh, think <laughs> you've got to be kidding. Well, whatever many number there are, that's how many children you're going to have. Well, look up at the stars now. See the stars? Yeah. No, no street lights. You can see a lot of stars. How many stars? Oh, no. who can number the stars? That's how many children you're going to have, Abraham. Ninety-nine years of age, Abraham. So every time someone called his name, it was a positive confession of what God had already told him. Not Abram. I mean, it's enough to have faith at the age of 99 years of age to think you're going to be the father of a multitude. That takes some pretty strong faith. And I'm sure there are plenty that came around and said, boy, I I don't know about you, but I I think I'd change my name. Uh, That's uh, that's got to be embarrassing, because every time somebody calls you, and says, father of multitudes, come here a minute, father of multitudes, he walks over there and looks at his barren wife and says, "Uh I hope you can put yourself in this because many, many times you and I begin to make a positive confession about what God told us in his word, and we're supposed to confess it, we say, well, how can I confess, I mean, after all, my bills are paid, I'm, I'm prosperous, I'm in prosperity, you can't do that! After all, I mean, look at my paycheck. Not enough money in there to even pay the mother. How can I say that all things are mine in Christ? You can't do that. Of course you can't if you aren't a father and child of faith. If you can't confess what the Word says. But that's very embarrassing. I mean, after all, what do people think if I go around saying, my God supplies all my needs in Christ Jesus? Well, I don't really think you're supposed to care what the world says or what they think. You're supposed to think and care about what the Word says. Because it's either true or it isn't true. And I'll tell you, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. And if the Word of God says these things be so, and if we're walking in obedience to God's Word, I don't care how long it takes to walk it out. Abram went around for 24 years there in the land of Canaan, telling everybody his name was Father of Multitudes. And when God finally says, okay, now we're going to get ready to do something, he changed his name to a father of many nations. No matter how embarrassing it was, Abraham said, I'll die to what other people think. I don't care because God has promised me something. And one year later, Isaac was born at the age of 100. One year later. Now, you know what happened? Some people quit at 22 years or 11 years or 10 years and quit confessing what God's word says. But if God's going to have a vessel vessel that is usable, we have to say what God says. And God says, your name isn't Abram anymore. It is now Abraham. So he had to die to his past. The usable vessel he had to die to his present. Abraham had to die to his future. Look over in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here I am. Father of many nations, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham kicked and squalled and yelled and screamed. Is that what it says? The father of faith. The father of faith a usable vessel. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Uh, By the way, Abraham was older now because Isaac was old enough to talk to his father. And you'll see in a minute they reasoned with each other and talked with each other. So Isaac had to be at least Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I don't know. So Abraham had to be at least one hundred and six, seven, eight, nine, and ten years of age. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again to you. And isn't that interesting? He said, I and the lad will go up and come again unto you. Read that again. I and the lad will go up and come again unto you. Abraham knew what God had told him, but he said, I and the lad will come up again to you. He's the father of faith. He knew his God. And Abraham took the wood of the offering of burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now look at this next statement. It's prophetic. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And by the way, where he used that word God there, it was Jehovah-Jireh, which means many breasted one or all-sufficient God my all-sufficient God will provide a lamb by the way just for the record he did he did my God shall so says that uh, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world God provided a lamb but not only did God provide a lamb then but he provided I mean uh, in Christ he provided one for in for in place of Isaac there on the mountain now I say that because. In, Deuteronomy, er, uh, in in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, the 18th verse, it said, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Abraham was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he had to die to his past, he had to die to his present, he had to die to his future. When he took his son, his only son, up on that mountain, and God told him to offer him as a sacrifice, there had to be the death of a vision on the part of Abraham. Abraham says, now I have hope that I'm going to have many nations in the days ahead. Now I have hope that I will see the seed that God has promised me because I have this son. Let me tell you something. Many, many times you'll come into the life of your your life and mine experiences where we think, I have the answer here. God has given me the answer in this situation. Now I have a source. Now I have a seed. Now I have a, a possibility to begin to do what I feel God told me to do, and suddenly that possibility will disappear or look like it's going to be gone. Just like it did with Abraham. But do you know something? The word of God tells me that Abraham didn't even blink. And he took the wood, he took the fire, he took the knife, and up the mountain he went. Now let me tell you something. He did it, but I want you to know that he knew in his own heart that God was going to make a way because God could not lie. Here was his most cherished dream. Here was his most cherished possession. Here was the source of his promised blessings in the days ahead. But Abraham was willing to give them all to God at that moment and die to his future. He had no other future. But I want you to see over in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the faith chapter, what the writer of the Hebrews said about that experience that Abraham went through. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was what? Tried. Let me tell you something. God will try you. God will try me. The seed will be faithful to him. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God accounting that God, you know what's involved in accounting? You put your assets, your debits, your liabilities, and so forth, all in in different columns, and you add them all up. And Abraham, being a man of God and a man of faith, accounted for all that he knew about God, all of his assets and all of his liabilities, all of his debits and all of his credits, and he filed them all up. He counted them all up and said... That God was able to raise him up. If God really wants me to offer my son as a sacrifice, then he has the power to raise him from the dead. And that's what I believe he will have to do. Because he promised me this, this son and told me to name him Isaac. This is the son he gave me. Now, if he takes him away from me, he'll have to raise him from the dead. This is going to be exciting to see God getting ready to perform a miracle. And he took the knife and raised it up over his son and was ready to plunge it into the heart, saying, if I must do this to prove my obedience to God then God will raise him from the dead. Now, I don't know what kind of a feeling and pain would go through your heart if you had one child and you were 110 years of age and you knew that God told you to accomplish, to do this task. How far you'd go before you begin to kick and squall and scream and bellow and say, God isn't fair, God, you're mean, God, you don't do anything right. But you see, when the covenant was made with God, God made a covenant with Abraham Part of that covenant was that everything that Abraham ever possessed in his life was totally God's by that covenant. And everything that God had was totally Abraham's by that covenant. And I believe that in that moment, Abraham, God was saying to Abraham, I want to see if you'll, if you'll make that covenant valid with me. Would you really give that most precious possession you have up? Is he really mine? Would you really give him up? And when he saw that Abraham would, he said, Abraham, stop. And he said to him, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. The writer of the Hebrew says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. You know, time and time again, God comes to us when we begin to grasp things, whether it just be our own desires, our own way. God says, will you really give that up to me? By a blood relationship, blood covenant agreement between you and my son, I told you that everything that I have in Christ is yours. Now I'm asking you, is everything that you have mine? If you say it is, I may test you and try you to see if it really is mine. And if you're really dead to the old life and dead to the old self, you won't hold on to anything. you say, Lord, it's all yours. Here's my husband, here's my wife, here's my business, here's my talents, my my possessions. They're all yours, Lord. I die to my past, I die to my present, I die to my future. Jesus Christ is all and in all to me. Lord, I trust you. And as I check the books, I know that you cannot fail. So if you'll just show me what to do, it's done, it's yours, anything. Or nothing, anywhere or nowhere. But I have to know what you would have me to do. Now, when this happens, then God can say, I'm going to bless you in such a way that those that bless you, I'll bless, and those that curse you, I'll curse. When you and I walk in obedience to the Lord, he maketh even your enemies to be at peace with you. Is that what it says in the Word? No weapon that is formed against it. you will prosper. And so the Lord says, Will you just turn that over to me? Give it to me? Oh, I had such high hopes for this. Well, just give it to me. How can I let go of this, Lord? Just bless it right here, Lord. Just bless it right here while I'm holding up. Don't let it go. Well, Lord, if I let this, Lord, I've held on to it for so long, it's just, I feel very insecure. Yeah, that's how I know I want you to let it go. And because you obeyed me now, I bless you. All Jesus wanted the little boy to do was to give him the lunch. And the whole multitude was fed. He could have kept it for himself. He could have said, there's not enough for everybody. Now, i want to tell you something. If you think you've got something that God can use, there's not enough there for God to use until you give it to him completely, and then he will multiply it, break it and bless it and multiply it, and then will the multitudes be blessed. But he requires and demands total obedience first. Because you and I have to recognize that in the kingdom of God, the first requirement is that we are are expendable. John the Baptist, before he was beheaded, said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And Jesus said of John the Baptist, no greater man was ever born of a woman. If that be so, John the Baptist, how much more of us? He must increase, but I must decrease. I must be expendable and recognize that I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm to glorify God in my body and in my mind and in my spirit, which are Christ's. And I give them totally to him without reservation. Lord Jesus, live your life out through me. That's his desire today. 2 Timothy the second chapter. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Been teaching on the subject of usable vessels. You know, actually, I've had people say to me down through the years of my ministry Brother Webb, isn't it enough just to be a Christian? Just to get saved? Just to know Jesus as your Savior? That would be just like a baby coming to me saying, Isn't it enough just to be born? Isn't it enough just to have come out of the womb and be breathing? Can't I just stay right here? Well, you could, but you would become a physical monstrosity after a while. And for one to simply receive Jesus as Savior, in other words, what they're saying is, I really need a fire insurance policy. In case of a problem, I'd like to have an escape hatch. But other than that, I'd rather not get too involved. And and believe me, when I say this, I say it in all love, but there are many, many people who look at their religious experience in that life. Yes, I really need someone in case there's a real problem comes along. But other than that, I wish it wouldn't bug my daily schedule. So Paul the Apostle tells us that if we're going to be vessels usable for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, we've got to be recognizing that that new birth is just like a physical birth. From there, there's much growth that's needed. He describes it in the Word that we start off desiring the sincere milk of the Word. And in many churches today, you'll find people who have made a, quote, decision back there 30 years ago that are still going around when they come to church going, give me a bottle. And the minute you start giving them some food with a little bit of roughage in it, they begin to gag on it. Now, this messes up my regular daily schedule, and I can't swallow that yet, preacher. And so I I want to make you recognize over and over again the fact that when you make a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, you are simply, as it were, uh, ejected from the womb of the old world and come into a new era of life, and from there it is a one continual growth that will go on through eternity. God wants us to learn how to rule and reign with him. Now, I don't know if you've checked lately, but when they induct men into the armed forces, they require that they leave diapers at home. They, re- they require that they leave their little dummy plugs and bottles at home. They want mature young men that go into the battle. And God's word says that when we become Christians that we are to prepare for a lifetime battle. Second Timothy, second chapter. And I want to begin again with verse 15 through 21. Now I want you to understand again that this is God's word to you and to me. If it says it, then it behooves us to obey it. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is all past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I don't know why, but evidently somebody needs that phrase this morning. Time and time again, especially when I'm in large crowds, I go out to Epcot, and I go out to Disney World from time to time, or Sea World, and I look around and see the thousands and thousands of people. I need this promise. The Lord knoweth them that are his. I think, Lord, you look down in this whole crowd. You know everyone that's here, but you know me in a special way. I, I can't even comprehend such wonderful grace. To know that I can be in the midst of a million people and God can look down and say, there's my son right there. There's my daughter right there. Isn't she beautiful? We got a picture some weeks ago, of several months ago, from Christ for the Nations. And it was all the student body standing out in front of the building. And they took stood back and took a picture of the whole crowd. And who do you suppose I was looking for? Yeah, but especially I was looking, my daughter wasn't there, but I was looking for my son, and I found him. I mean, this little bitty picture of hundreds and hundreds of students, but I found my son, and when I saw that, I thought, I know my son in that whole crowd. Right there he is. And in that little way, I recognize what God is saying. Here Paul is saying by under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows where you are and he knows what you're doing. He knows the attitude of your heart. Men look on the outward appearance. God is looking at your heart this morning. And the most important thing is not what others say about you, but what God thinks about you. It's not even important what you think about you. It's what God thinks about you this morning. You're His. And he wants you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ and become a usable vessel for his glory. But right where you are right now, if you have repented of your sins and made Jesus Lord of your life, he knows right where you are. I hope that encourages you. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. And prepared unto every good work. I remember again when I said about vessels unto honor and vessels unto dishonor. It's not just talking about the use of them, but it's talking about the disposability of them. You see, there was a vessel unto honor that was sitting back here behind my the pulpit. There it is. There's a thermos bottle under here. I don't know if anybody knows. that's not it. It's another one. Also, there's another thermos bottle there. I thought it was, the one that was here was thrown away. I told you, don't dare leave anything sitting around here. Praise the Lord. But that was a vessel that was going to be used over and over again. And that's what it's talking about here. A vessel unto honor is one that even if if there's a time when it's not being used, it isn't something you discard. We go to Burger King, or we go to McDonald's, and we get vessels in which they put coffee and so forth, something like this. And boy, I I appreciate the fact that unless you used to live as long ago as I did, when they'd give you a cup of coffee in a Paper cup, you couldn't hold on to it. You had to keep your finger in the in the handle, and if your finger would touch the edge of that cup, you'd start jerking around to get your finger away from it. But they have taken care of that. They put it in a cup where you can't feel the heat or the cold. That's a wonderful convenience. But you know what? I get through with that cup. It's disposal, not a vessel under honor. Now, my wife has some cups at home that, when I used to travel in business years ago, every time I'd be out of town for a few days, I'd look around and find a beautiful cup and saucer that I thought she would enjoy, and whenever I got through with the job, out on the road, and I would come back, I would have at least one cup and saucer for her. Now, from time to time, on some special occasion, she'll get those cups and saucers out, and I will, you know, with those little dainty handles on them, and I'll drink with that stuff, but you better not catch me trying to throw one of those away when I'm through. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You see? And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying if we'll do these certain things, we will not only be usable, but we will be value, so valuable to God that there will never come a time that he'll pitch us away. You see that? Some to honor and some to dishonor. They may be used, but there'll come a time when they won't be usable anymore and be discarded. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I don't know what that does to you, but that makes me sense the urgency that we respond to what God's word says here in 2 Timothy, the second chapter some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, will allow God to purge him from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. That isn't what it says, is it? We talked about that last week again. I want to get that across to you. If, therefore, a man will purge what? Himself. An act of our will, isn't it? The longer I'm in the ministry, the more I realize that you and I will go only as far as we want to go with God. We will be used only as much as we will allow God to use us. God is a gentleman. God will, first of all, he will not force himself upon us. He'll come and convict us of our sins. How many of you never resisted God when the gospel came to you? Never fought it at all. You just, just grabbed a hold of it and just walked right into it. God didn't say, hey, wake up here, dummy. I'm trying to do something to you. He very graciously came to you and caused you to know the precepts of God's word and his calling. And finally, there came a time when you gave in and said, I will give my heart to Jesus Christ. Now, he enters in and quickens our spirit. Now, let me tell you something. He doesn't go inside and go, now I'm taking over here, you know, and say, you haven't got any will left. He says, now, I beseech you. Let me have let me have your life. Let me have this section. Let me have that. And as long as you say, no, no, not that area, and quench the Holy Spirit, he'll just move back. Now, he will allow circumstances come into your life where finally you'll realize how futile it is to still try to run your own life. It's always been an amazing thing to me how some people can believe Jesus Christ for eternity, to save their soul in eternity, but can't trust him to take care of every need in their life every day. I mean, after all, they, God surely wouldn't know more about their business decisions, or their employment decisions, or their home decisions, or their family decisions, or their social relationship decisions, or their future life partner. He, he couldn't know, certainly, surely couldn't know as much about what decisions they can make in those matters as they would. You see, God will not force himself on you and me. You'll come this far, he'll say, Okay. Now, I want you to come up here. Mm. All right, I'd like for you to come on up here. I want to really take control of that. Mm. All right? That's when he allowed the children of Israel to walk for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they wouldn't go where he wanted them to go. Forty years later, he said, let's try that again. We've got another generation of people. That time they went in, you see. God's saying, I want you to go all the way with me and yield yourself totally to me. And you will be a vessel unto honor. If a man will purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. That means when God says, "I want that out of your life," yes, sir. I have confessed a sin, and I want it out. I want that relationship broken. Yes, sir. It is broken. But God surely couldn't. Don't say He couldn't. If He said it, He said it. Just do what He tells you to do. There are many times I said, "Lord, I don't understand what Lord." go I, isn't this isn't this really stupid? Of my part, When God comes to you and me, he says, my desires towards you are continually good. I desire above all else that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospered. But I won't force my desires and my will upon you if you'll purge yourself when I show you these things that ought not to be there. He said to the children of Israel, put away all your idols. Put away all these things. He didn't come down and consume them with fire. He said, you'll purge yourself of them. You'll get rid of them. Get those idols out of your house. Take them out of your house and burn them. Get rid of them. Some did, some wasn't. What's the difference? Some obeyed, some disobeyed. What was the end result? Some were blessed, some were destroyed. God says, "I don't want you destroyed. I want the things out of your life." And He says, "If we'll purge ourselves." But He shows us something from the Word. Well, Brother Webb, I don't know whether that's a sin, or not. I don't really know if that's wrong. And we're lying when we say that. We're lying when we say that because God, the Holy Spirit, will tell us what is right and wrong if we'll be honest with it. Now, if we come and say, God, now I know that's not sin. doesn't make a difference what I'm feeling in here. What, you know, a lot of times the old devil's trying to come and condemn me of this, Lord. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't try to condemn you of sin. It's when you're trying to do right that he comes along and tries to mess you up. And when the Holy Spirit shows somebody that something is sin, it's the most amazing thing as a pastor. Time and time again, I've been in people's homes and they say, I don't know why it comes up, we're talking maybe about uh, grass out in the yard, and all of a sudden they'll say, Pastor, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with social drinks. No, I mean, you know, some of these churches are just so negative and so condemnation-minded all the time, and, and legalistically preaching and all this. where that all, where all that stuff come from? What they're actually saying, you know, God has really been dealing with me in this matter for a long, long time, but I am so defensive that I'm going to find a church that'll tell me that I'm right. I have people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Who said you yeah. did? But if you're a Christian, you will go to church if you're an obedient Christian. You have to find a shepherd if you're an obedient Christian. You have to. Well, I don't believe that. Oh, I'll bet God had trouble getting back up on the throne and you knocked him off in that area. You see, It's just a plain case he says, we'll purge ourselves of these things. Then they, that person, that person that will purge themselves of those things, do it themselves. Not expect the pastor to do it, or the Sunday school teacher to do it, or your husband or your wife to do it to you. But when God speaks to your heart, say, yes, sir, that will be dealt with today. That person, Paul says, God will use as a vessel unto honor. There won't come a time when you'll discard that vessel. Not unto dishonor. Now all that we say, because we're talking about any Usable vessel is, first of all, expendable. They die out to what use they feel they should be used. Well, I know there are a lot of people in this world that have grandiose ideas as to how God should use them as a vessel. I've had a set of people in the past, you know, if I could just buy that person for what they're worth, really worth, and sell them for what they think they're worth, I could retire. If I could just buy that person for what, for what they're really worth and turn around and sell them for what they think they're worth, I'd have it made for life. I'd never have to work another day in my whole life. You see, they have a very grandiose idea of what they, uh, who they really are. And you know when that happens, it's when we don't see ourselves as God sees us. Because God says it's the, it's the vessel that tries to crawl up on the top shelf that's going to have to be put on the floor. And it's the vessel that's willing to say, Lord, I'll be a doormat for you. That God says, there's one that nobody's going to harm. I'm going to protect that one. And I'll put them on the top shelf. God says, that's the way up is down and down is up in my kingdom. And so the scripture says, don't let any man think any more or highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think soberly and justly. Look at yourself in the light of God's word. Well, let me tell you something. If you go through the scriptures and find men who saw God in all of his holiness, you'll find out that the next thing they had to do was to find a crack small enough for them to slide down through. The only time we become big in our own sight is when we see ourselves only in the light of someone else that's lesser than ourselves. And it's so interesting how we always, you ever notice how we compare ourselves when it's doing wrong? If we're doing wrong, well, I'm not as bad as such and such whatever is building something and accumulating things for ourselves, well, yes, we're fairly fortunate, but look at over here, the, the Joneses over here, they've got three television sets and they've got four stereos, and isn't that amazing how we compare? We never compare ourselves to someone who's walking more uprightly, but someone who's doing a little, we compare an evil with an evil. And we compare our prosperity always with someone who's got something that's more prosperous. What would happen if we'd ever turn that around? If we'd look around in church and say, who can I seek out as a godly example to follow up? I want to become like the most godly person that I can think of that I've ever met in my life. I want to become like them. And then turn around and say, Father, how grateful I am when I look at all the people in this world who have nothing. And how you've blessed me with health and life and maybe one pair of shoes. But thank God for that one pair of shoes. I'm so grateful, Lord, because I'm going to leave it all behind when I leave this world. Wouldn't that be different if we'd look at it in that light? Some people say, brother, I am just overloaded with debt. Well, if you are overloaded with debt, generally speaking, somewhere along the line, you have accumulated some assets. There are some people that don't have any problem with debt whatsoever because they don't own a thing. The Word of God says that we're to purge ourselves. Begin to look at ourselves without stigmatism within our eyes, but look at ourselves realistically before God and say, Lord, I am expendable. I am nothing outside of Jesus Christ. But because I am in Jesus Christ, I want him to control my life without reservation. I die to the old man, I can become alive in Christ. Lord Jesus, you take charge of my life and every decision that has to be made in, in that life. I give to you total control of all my possessions, all my thoughts, all my desires, all my relationships. And when a hard decision comes, I go right back to that commitment. There is no hard decision because I've made the hardest one, and that is Jesus is Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Tell me, and it's done. Someone said a genuinely expendable Christian is one who comes and says, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, what was it you wanted me to do? They answer before they even ask. Yes, Lord. There's something different to what they requested. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. Yes, Lord. Isn't that better? They come and say, "Well, Lord, I know that you would like for me to help out, you know, and they'd clean up the church over there." But Lord, you know how tired I am. Saturday's the only day I get off. You know, I'm just working day and <sighs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And you say, "Lord, I know I'm tired, but..." It's going to be different. Now, I'm going to be working for the kingdom of God. I'm going to be doing things for the kingdom of God now. Again, we just turn all of our decisions around. Generally speaking, when we make a decision in the flesh, if you'll reverse it 180 degrees, we'll get pretty close to what God's thoughts are on it. So you see, the natural man says, I want to be in leadership. And so we put our toes in somebody's mouth and our fingernails in somebody's eyes as we're climbing up over the pile. And before long we look at that guy down there that every time something needs to be done in the church he slips in and gets it done and slips out and gets doesn't say anything to anybody, but you know that this is done, that's done, the other thing's done. There's a family that's in need and a meal is delivered without anybody saying anything, and before long you say, How'd that guy get up there? Well he was crawling around the floor here the other day, scrubbing the floor over the corner. How'd you get up there? I says, Hey dummy, you don't know my my the way my, my my kingdom works. You get down to get up, and you get up to get down. You become a servant before you can serve. And as we do these things, as we do them in the light of God's word, God says, now there is a vessel that I can honor, because they recognize that they must decrease, that I might increase, that when men see their good works, it glorifies me. Therefore, that's, uh, there is a vessel unto honor, expendable. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about the fact that a usable Christian is sendable. A usable Christian is sendable. And God has some things for us to understand here. First of all, by biblical precepts and principles and practice, I want you to see that God is looking for sendable vessels. We want to understand what it means to be sendable. Once we get these principles down and begin to purge ourselves of these things, look out, God's going to make us to be what he wants us to be. We need a foundation upon which to build in the days ahead here, and I believe we're going to see it. Do you really desire to be a vessel used by God? Do you really desire to be? Then you have to understand the biblical principles behind them. And I want to encourage you, while I'm preaching these messages, to write down notes, and when you get a question in your mind, write it out alongside of that note, and when you get home, begin to search the scriptures for the answer to that question. Now, your notes may not look like my notes, but if they're meaningful to you when you write them down, take them home and study them during the week. I have some people say, Pastor, I don't know what to study in the Word. Start there. Start there. Just write out the notes of what's been preached and write little questions alongside of it. And then when you come to a Word, I don't know about you, but when I get into a chapter, I have to be careful because I, I need a lot of time. I'll get in there, what does that Word mean? And I'll go back and try to find the Word. And you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You can just go to your... Young's Concordance, and it'll tell you what that particular word in that particular use really means. Get a vines, a book by Vine on Greek words in the New Testament. And it'll give you how that word is used completely, an illustration on it, you know, and so forth. How is that word, how does that apply to me? And for long, that five minutes that you use in Scripture will get blown all to pieces, and you'll have a hard time putting it down and getting away from it. And that's what he's talking about here. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. And when you begin to take a verse apart like that And then you take that verse and write it down And put it on your dashboard Or in your, up above your ironing board Or your sink or whatever It will give you something to chew on all day Rightly dividing the word of truth As it applies to you and me God wants, us, wants usable vessels And God needs many usable vessels For what he's going to do in this body In the days ahead You understand that? I'm not preaching about the time when God finally calls you to South Africa. I'm talking about right here, right now, God says, get prepared. I want a foundation. I want a solid foundation. Usable vessels. We have to decide that God is going to use us. I have to decide that God's going to use me. If I get up in the morning, just do my normal thing, get all ready, jump in the car, say, God, protect me on the road, and I get to work. God, don't let me get hurt today while I'm at work. God, give me a safe trip home. God, let me rest tonight so I can get enough rest before I go to bed. Don't worry about it. He's not going to use you. It's all, bless me. But if we get up in the morning, saying, Lord, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And I am going to find someone I can share Jesus with today, a gospel tract or testimony, whatever it is, and then go expecting it to happen the Lord may just put you on an elevator with someone. You know, sometimes I just do something just for for the effect's sake because I find myself, you know, uh, getting a little rusty. Poor Jody was with me one time and just for the fun of it, because I'd never tried it before in my life and I'd seen it done, I got on and this elevator was completely jammed full. I turned around and I said, I'm so glad we could all get together here today. I had something I wanted to talk to you about. brother goes, oh, Jody, oh. <laughs> well, but something like that, if you could share something about Jesus at a time like that, they may laugh and everything else, but afterwards they say, you know something, he said something is going wrong. I don't do that in normal practice, but once in a while shock treatment's good for people. But I'll tell you one thing, it's better than not saying anything ever. Then the guy that went to the lumber camp and worked all summer and came back and said, boy, I said, that was a rough place to work all summer, a bunch of wild, dirty old guys out there. He said, I was able to get through all three months, but never found out I was even a Christian. I said, first of all, that usable Christians are expendable, and tonight I want to talk to you about the fact that the usable Christian is sendable. Now, if you'll take your Bible and start in Genesis and go all the way through the Bible, you'll find out that God is looking for people who are sendable. That means that he can depend on them, if he has a task for them to do, that they're going to do it. Abraham, get out of the earth of the Chaldees, go into the promised land, the land of the Canaanites. I've got a purpose for you. Yes, sir. And he took right off. Moses, and through a you chasing after these dumb sheep, now there's some, another flock of dumb sheep I want you to go and lead out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. Yes, sir. See, God's always sending. Gideon, I want you to get out of that mill down there, and I want you to come out here and lead my people into battle. And in each instance, when it's in the word of God, and there has been a response, God writes down about his saints that are sendable. Joshua. Moses is gone, now you lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Get over to the New Testament, look at John, the first chapter with me, very quickly. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same was, came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. The scripture says that John the Baptist was a sent person. He was sendable. Have you ever stopped to think what would have happened had John the Baptist said, Look, Lord, it's all the same to you. Send someone else. The prophet that was promised to come before the Messiah to prepare the way of the Lord, if he had not been sendable, what would have happened? But beyond that, for God so loved the world that he gave as a gift his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Word of God says that God the Father, in the before-time covenant agreement, sent his Son. Sent his Son. His Son was sent. Son, you go to earth. You take upon yourself the form of of a servant, and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Son, you go. God the Father had a Son who was sendable, had he not been sendable you and I would be in trouble today. The result was that you and I today have salvation because Jesus was sendable. You and I have the assurance of our salvation today because in John 14, Jesus said, it's necessary that I go away for if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. But when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your members, whatsoever I have said unto you. What if Jesus had not been sendable? What if the Holy Spirit had not been sendable? Because the Holy Spirit was sendable, he was able to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He was able to give you and me the assurance that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was able to give to you and me the confidence day by day that we could have, speak with authority, and know that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine what would have happened when Jesus went back to heaven and he said, Holy Spirit, go and begin to help my church be built. They said, well, really, I'm not interested in that particular work. Where would we be today? You see, anything that's usable by God himself has to be like God and therefore be sendable. And Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me. Jesus said to his followers, as the Father hath sent me. How did the Father send him? To put himself down and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. To be willing, at any cost, to do the perfect will of God every day. Lord, it doesn't make any difference what I want to do. If it's possible, let that cup pass away from me. But that's not the important thing, Lord. Let your will be done in my life. And he says, just as the Father sent me. That's just the way I'm sending you into the world. Just the same way. The apostles were sendable. They went forth, and consequently today... We have the Word of God. We are a part of the church that was established by those that were willing when Jesus said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. You're sendable, and if you're sendable, I can work through you. They went out, and today I have become a part of that body that they established back there 2,000 years ago. Now, so see, what we have to decide is whether we're going to continue to propagate what the disciples did in their day because the Word of God said they turned the world upside down in their day. You know why they did it? Because, first of all, they were expendable, died martyrs' death, at any cost they became fanatics. Secondly, they were sendable. Lord, anywhere you want me to go. I like what one man said one time most Christians today, if God told them to go anywhere, they'd have to check with a banker to find out if they could get out of town or not. They're so far in debt. But not just that. So many times as Christians, we have allowed ourselves to become so totally entangled with the things of the world and the riches. The deceitfulness of riches in this world that we say, well, Lord, one of these days when I get myself all straightened out financially, then, no, 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 no. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Keep things in a proper perspective. You're not here to establish a great wealth here because you're going to leave it all behind. You and I are here to be a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And the Lord has said, I want to send you forth as light in a dark place. As salt in a place that is corrupting and polluting itself and is destroying itself. I want you to be a preservative. I want you to bring forth life in that place. That's your first task. God called every one of us to be just like Jesus, sendable. Well, where does he want to send me? I don't know. I didn't ask him for you. I asked him for me. I know where I'm supposed to be. And you see, he's no respecter of persons. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll show him exactly where he's supposed to be. Now, if he wants us someplace, he doesn't want us like a bump on a log. He wants us to be like a burr under a saddle blanket. But God just wants you to be a light right where you are. And you see, some people say, well, I'm just going to be a shining light for Jesus and I won't say anything. I'll just glow. Well, even a light bulb creates heat. And the Lord wants you not just to be a silent witness for him. Jesus was sendable. The Holy Spirit was sendable. The disciples were sendable. The result, today we have the inspired word of God in our hands, and the church has been established. And the devil's doing everything he can to destroy and disrupt the church. And that's why I'm trying to ask you tonight, how many of us are really sendable by God? Not by this preacher. You see, it just amazes me how many times people wait until the preacher inspires them to do something. Now, if the preacher would get up and spend fifteen minutes of his sermon talking about how much we need to be here on Saturday morning to clean the church, then I get inspired and I think that's what I'm supposed to do. It should not be like that. You see, every day we should say, "Lord, what is your purpose for my life today?" You should not be motivated by what I say. You should be motivated by the Word of God. Now, sometimes what I'll say will be a catalyst because you look into the Word and challenge you to study the Word a little harder and to find out what God's trying to say to you about in that area, but the Word says that we would automatically, once we make Jesus Lord, should be on, on call, on duty. I remember during the Second World War how the, the soldiers would be on leave but would be subject to immediate call-up at any moment. What did that mean? That meant they couldn't get very far away from the telephone and if they left the house they'd have to tell everybody where they're going to be because if they were even downtown in a restaurant their family had to be able to call them and say you're on call you've got to leave right now. In case of a national emergency they always had to be ready on call. They didn't have the little hip beepers like they've got now. They had to be somewhere where somebody could get, rid of, get a hold of them right away so they could go and do what they're supposed to do and be sent. Well that's exactly what we're supposed to be as believers. Sendable to the place that when we fellowship here together, we come here to worship, we come here to be instructed, we go out to serve the Lord. For you see, we only come together two days, two times, three times in a week just to to get some more teaching and some more encouragement and some more fellowship, but the rest of the week we're committed to being sendable by the Holy Spirit to be a witness and to be a light and to be a testimony wherever we go of the unperceivable riches of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, so, send so, I you, you ever notice what happened wherever Jesus went? Things were always happening. The scripture says that wherever he went, signs and wonders followed him. They didn't go ahead of him, they followed him. And he says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Not the preacher, but them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons, speak with new tongues, lay hands on the sick, and they will. Who's going to do that? They that believe, when are they going to do that? Right at the close of the morning or the evening service, so Brother Webb. No! Wherever the church went. Let me ask you something. Do you really believe that the Lord has saved you to be sendable?